On Sunday, we spent some time, um, or sorry, on Wednesday, we spent some time in Romans chapter 12. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, those are kind of our theme verses for the year. Those are the verses that we use to guide the conversations on campus as to how God is asking us to grow as a community. Starting today, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the book of Romans, to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to start going through the text uh, in chunks, and in chunks that make sense. And so we'll start with chapter 1 and then go chapter 2 chapter 3, you kind of get the point. The fact that we're starting with chapter 1 would lead you probably to surmise that today we're going to start with the introduction, and this has been a week for you of introductions, hasn't it? I'm sure that your first day of class, you were pretty bummed if you got any more than an introduction out of your professor. The expectation is that you go into class, you learn everybody's names, you take attendance, you read the syllabus. There are a lot of words that you don't really care about in the syllabus. You kind of make a note as to when assignments are going to be due, and maybe when the first assignment or reading might be due. And then if you're in class, any longer than 10 minutes, booties in seats, like the whole thing's considered a failure. And if by some stretch of the imagination, the professor makes any attempt to educate you for the full period of class time, you're like frustrated because all your friends are there going to eat lunch early and here you are, you're slaving away in class. Your brain has not been properly stretched out. You didn't do your brain yoga over the summer and, and you're, you're cramping up and you're just, you're just grumpy and, and you're just mad. I don't want you to be mad today, but I will tell you that in the introduction to Romans, it'll be kind of like reading a syllabus, and there will be a few words that stand out to you, I think, on our first read-through. There will be a lot that you're like, I have no idea what Paul's talking about, but for me, this was a really key text as I began to kind of study it and look at it a couple of weeks ago for two reasons. Number one, it kind of laid me bare as I did some reflection on my past year uh, personally and, and, and spiritually. And it took me to some places that I maybe didn't want to go back to, but that I had to remember. And then secondly, I think this is an important text because it really does, even if we don't see it on the first reading, set some important groundwork for the work that Paul is trying to do in the church that is at Rome. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip them open to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to knock out the first 15 verses today. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith by yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. For I am under obligation to both Greeks and barbarians, 
both wise and the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. That is the word of the Lord. And and it seems really verbose, doesn't it? Like, why couldn't he just say, dear Romans? Like, wouldn't have that been a lot easier? We think of how we start letters or sometimes email, and we don't expect two whole paragraphs of introduction. Sometimes we get a little punchy if someone, like, puts more than one word of introduction. Like, I'm cool with yo and then whatever. Not with your professional emails. Don't do that with professional correspondence. Dear whoever is best. That's a little non-Jesus-y pro tip for you tonight. Um, But here's Paul, and he lays out two whole paragraphs. And the fact that he lays out those two whole paragraphs leads us to believe that there are some things that he is trying to emphasize. One of the cool things that he tries to emphasize is this idea of the fullness of God. One of the words that never shows up in the Bible is the word Trinity. But that's something that's really important to us as Christ followers. The fact that God that we serve has been manifested as the creator God, the father God that we talk about and that we see in Genesis. And there's God the Son, Jesus Christ, that Christ figure. And there's the Holy Holy Spirit. And Paul, in these two paragraphs, mentions all of them. But he mentions all of them in a way that kind of allows us to see that they flow together and they interact with each other and that they all have a role in our lives. Certainly, Paul hitches his, his, his cart to this Jesus horse pretty substantially. He talks about this person, Jesus Christ, a lot and extends the peace of Jesus Christ to the, to the, to the people at Rome. He also talks in verse six about all of those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And so he is speaking to the shared identity that the people in Rome have. As people who are all created by the same God, as people who are bound together by the Spirit, as people then who are also called to belong to Jesus Christ. And this is really, really, really important. It's really, really, really important when we understand the context to which Paul is writing to. Paul's writing to a church in the city of Rome. And what we know about Rome is it's in the same place that Rome is today, which is in what country? France, correct. No, just kidding. It's in Italy. Um, Rome is in, is in Italy. And there's this church that's in Rome, but the church that's in Rome wasn't actually started by Italians. The church, the Christ followers that were in Rome, that church was started by Jewish people. And what most likely happened was, you know, around the time of Jesus or after the time that Jesus died and was resurrected, these Jews, they would kind of go on pilgrimages back to Jerusalem. And so they would go back to the temple. They would go back to worship. And and around that time, there was a lot of kind of exchange and development of ideas of Jewish theology and Christian theology. And there were some of those people who were converted in Jerusalem, and then they would come back to Rome. So the early church in Rome was actually full of Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who were not in their homeland. Was well, the, the, the empire of Rome started to grow, there was this emperor that decided he didn't like the Jewish people. And he kicked all of the Jewish people out of Rome. And in fact, he put many of them on an island by themselves. And so the Jewish people uh, experienced this persecution Up until that point, the Jewish people had obviously witnessed to and discipled some people who were not Jewish. And so there was this mixed church at this point in time that then became separated as the Jewish people were put off into exile, which is something that happened over and over and over again throughout history. This exile lasts five years. 
And then a new emperor comes, and his name is Nero. And Nero, this emperor, he comes, and he says, no, nah, it's all cool, Jewish people. Like, you can come back or whatever. And so the Jewish people, they come back, and, and, and now there's this remixing that happens. Because while they were gone, obviously the Gentile Christians, the non-Jewish Christians who were there in Rome, they started to run the church. And they started to grow in their faith, and they started to grow in their, in their knowledge of God. And there was an ethnic difference, and there was a racial difference, but there was also a cultural difference. Because the Jewish people, they had kind of folded in a lot of their Jewish traditions with their Christianity. A lot of the same things that Jesus did, like celebrating Passover or, or preaching, teachings that they had about circumcision, or the, the types of meat that a person could eat if they were truly following God. Some of these things were fashion ideals. These are all things that they had pulled over from their culture and from their race and kind of used to develop Christianity. And then some of those things got pushed aside when they, when they were gone, when they were pushed out. And so now they come back, and it really kind of felt like there were two churches in Rome. It felt like there were two churches in Rome. And so here's Paul, and he's writing this book. And an interesting thing happens as he writes this book. Never in the, in, the, in the book of Romans, in this letter to the church of Rome, does he say anything about, okay, Jewish church and non-Jewish church, you guys need to figure out you know, how to work together. You guys need to figure out how to serve together. You guys need to figure out times where you can you know, share potlucks, um, you know, maybe go on some mission trips together. That would, be, that would be really great. And we'll figure out how to you know, spread the, the money out so you guys can both have your buildings. No, throughout the entire book of Romans, there is an expectation that there's not going to be a Jewish church and a Gentile church, but there is going to be a church that Jesus Christ is Lord over. And there is going to be one church in Rome. And that all of the people who worship Jesus Christ, who are called by the name of Jesus Christ to belong to Jesus Christ, are going to be in family and relationship together. And, and, and he has high hopes and aspirations for these people because in verse 8, he's, he talks about this, that he's thankful for them because they are renowned, that their faith has been proclaimed all over the world. They're, 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 they're the famous Christians. They're the Christians that the churches in other cities look up to and they're like, oh man, they're doing it. They're getting it. They're getting it good. And so he's seen that something has happened there. And as he sees that, as he sees that, he wants that church in Rome to continue to grow, but to continue to grow together under God. I mentioned that this was a text then as I started to read about Paul's intention with the book that kind of started to, to, to cut at me deep as I thought about my last year. And as I thought about just some of the things that I've been going through um, internally that had not necessarily expressed themselves externally. And I thought about over the last year and how troubled I had been over the last year at the division of the church, even in America. The division of the church, even in America. I'd started to become in, in conversation with some pastors and with some people who were in a movement that were looking and talking about how toxic the church situation is in America because we're this land of diversity, but we don't have one church. We have white churches, we have black churches, we have Asian churches, we have Hispanic churches, but we don't live out this ideal that Paul talks about when he's talking to the Romans. In fact, I went to a conference a couple of years straight that talked about how we as, as Christians who are passionate about this could, could try to um, 
uh, infuse into our own context this more multi-ethnic, multicultural mindset. And one of the speakers was this dude from Rice University in Texas, and he's like this world-famous sociologist. And one of the things that he said blew my mind, and he said this. He said that when you looked 10 years ago at the number of multi-ethnic churches in America, of which multi-ethnic as a definition was not a high bar, he said it was less than 18% of churches in America. And he said it was interesting. You look at, at, these, at our churches, and our churches are even more segregated than our schools and than our neighborhoods. And so when you look at this country and what this country has done historically with our laws and stuff to keep people separate, Christians have done an even better job of separating ourselves. And honestly, that's probably a sin. And I started to really grieve over that sin. And, and I started to, to wonder, like, where is the place in the church to move forward in this? And it came to a head about a year ago because things started happening on the news about a year ago, which were really ugly scenes. And in fact, before they happened on the news, I was watching them on, on, on Twitter when unrest started to happen um, in, in, in Ferguson, Missouri. It actually took the news about a week to get there. Before the news got there, there were a few days of peaceful protests. And I remember on Periscope watching one of the first nights when there was really unrest and wondering, why doesn't the rest of America know that this is happening right now? Why doesn't the rest of America know that this is happening right now? Eventually, MSNBC picked up the Periscope feed, and eventually all of the other news organizations started going there and blasting those images all over the world. But that's when a conversation started in this country uh, around race, and it continued as incidents happened in, in Baltimore and in Cleveland and in Minneapolis and, and all over the place. And one of the things that really started to grieve my heart was that I found that the reaction of Christians, specifically evangelicals, was at the very least terribly unempathetic. Terribly unempathetic. And I saw that, that there were evangelicals and a lot of white evangelicals who were saying things about black people in America without actually being in conversation with black people in America. And, and, and it's almost like I went through the, the stages of grieving. And the first stage that I went through was this stage of anger. And I was reminded of this quote by James Baldwin when he said one time that to be Negro and, and relatively conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. And my wife called me out on this, and she was like, you can't be this angry. And I was like, I don't even know what else to be right now. And she was like, but you know what? That's not good for you, and it's not good for your family, and it's not God-honoring. And I was like, yeah, but you know what? I, I see a fractured church, and I see a church that isn't looking through the world as the, with the same lens that I am, and a church that's not really interested in reconciliation. So what am I supposed to do? And as she spoke that truth into my life, I began to, to think about that. And it went from kind of rage to withdrawal. And I began to just kind of withdraw. And I was like, I'm not going to deal. I can't deal with this anymore. And for a while, I quit Facebook. And, and um, I kind of just stopped talking to people about these issues. And my wife said, that's not healthy either. You're going to find that most of the good things in my life are due to, to her. She's kind of like my own personal Holy Stacy spirit. And, and she was like, she's like, she's like, this is a conversation that's going to happen. You can't sit it out. And I was like, I don't know if I have the character to, to sit in on this conversation because it, it hurts. And I don't know if I can be in this conversation with Christians because it does make me angry. I don't feel like we're one church right now. And she said, well, if anyone's going to be in it, it has to be you. 
because it's your dad who grew up in Newark in a two-bedroom duplex where he could see the Statue of Liberty and was there when the riots broke out after Martin Luther King was assassinated. And it was you who grew up in a multi-ethnic home with a black dad and a white mom where your grandparents didn't even go to your parents' wedding because your, your mom was marrying a black man. And it was you who grew up then in this multi-ethnic family that moved from the city to the suburbs, and you dealt with that tension of living in two parts of the city almost at the same time. And it's you who came to Sterling College, and your freshman year had your roommate call you nigger and punch you in the face. And it was you then who went and lived in a Hispanic neighborhood in Kansas City, while at the same time working in the suburbs and then going going and working in the urban core with young African-American middle school and high school students. And it's now you who fathers a family of people who were born in five different places, Oregon and Kansas and Missouri and Ethiopia and, and Vietnam. And it's now you who gets to be the chaplain over a group of very diverse and wonderful people who come from a different place. So some people can be allowed to sit this conversation out. You can't be allowed to sit it out. And you need to ask God to do something in your heart so that you can be a part of this conversation. And I was like, you're so right. You're so, you're so right. And so then that's what my summer was kind of just spent doing. It was spent reading and it was spent praying. It was spent just saying like, God, okay, like work on my spirit. Cause, cause I don't know what this looks like. And so then, you know, it was interesting. Three weeks ago, I start working on this sermon and I'm like, oh man, God, you're you're crazy because what I thought is when we we're getting into the book of Romans, I thought we were going to be talking specifically about evangelism and discipleship. I thought that's what our year was going to be about. And I don't necessarily think that our year is going to be about race relations because at the end of the day, racial, eth- ethnic, cultural differences, that is the context within which Paul is writing But the ends by which and the means to which Paul is writing about is what does it look like for us to be the church of Jesus Christ? One church, one people. And so for us, there will be times where that idea of of background and ethnicity and race and culture creeps into that. And we should probably be aware of the fact that this was the situation that Paul was writing into. And we should be convicted by the fact that we as a church have not been a good example for the world of what it looks like to be the church of Jesus Christ. And we should probably be aware of the fact that in an election cycle that is now coming to a head in the next 15 months, where two of the biggest issues are going to be policing and immigration debate, that we as Christians need to figure out how to talk about these things and how to be one church and how not living in a constant state of judgment or a constant state of rage, but at the very least, we need to learn how to live in a constant state of grace and empathy. And I think that there is room in there for us to have moments of righteous indignation because I know that there's a Jesus who went into a temple and flipped tables over and he kind of, he kind of freaked out. Okay. He kind of freaked out. But at the same time, we can't be an angry and vengeful and rageful people. We have to be an educated people. We have to be empathetic people. We have to be a gracious people. And so then what does that look like? Because I know there are some of you who are sitting here and you're like, oh my gosh, I've never been around this many brown people in my life. It's kind of freaking me out, right? Like my, just so you know, like my, my experience, my wife, 
grew up in Chase County, Kansas. There were like no brown people in her whole entire county. She thought she was going to marry a rancher, right, when, when she grew up. And so imagine the surprise when, she, like, the first time she brings me home to her family, to her parents, here I am, I have a giant afro and an, a New York Yankees earring, right? Like, that was, that was, that was a difference. But I'm going to say this, praise Jesus, there, we can, we can grow, we can learn to be with each other. So what does this look like here in our day in America? I want to share with you an email that's from a friend of mine. And this is a friend, um, his name's Jeremy. He's actually been here to speak in chapel before. He lives in Ohio now. He's a Mennonite pastor at Mennonite Christian Assembly. And he grew up in, in Hutchinson, Kansas, not too far from here. And, you know, the Mennonites, not super diverse group of people, but a group of people that I really like. I like to go eat their food and go to their relief sale and support their mission because they're super mission-minded. And he sent me this, this email just on Thursday. And it said, Christian, I wanted to thank you again for doing the interview the first of the year because he called me um, around Christmas time and he was like, hey man, I know you're kind of passionate about this stuff. My church is trying to figure out how to navigate through what America is navigating right now. Would you just, if I gathered questions from my congregation, could we do a Skype conversation where you answer those questions and we deal with those in a small group setting? And at first I said no, and then I said yes, um, praise be to Jesus and my wife. So he said, I sensed that it was a bit frustrating for you, and I'm grateful that you went ahead with it. At the end of the interview, you encouraged our church to find an inner city ministry or church to connect with. I wasn't sure how to make that happen, but I prayed about it. A number of months ago, a lady in our church approached me about doing a pastor swap with a black inner city Pentecostal church in South Bend, Indiana. She didn't know about our conversation or my desire. I jumped at the chance, and Bishop John Brown preached at our church in June. Our people loved it. He brought a crew with him. It seems black churches travel better than white. LOL. Anyway, (laughs) last Sunday, I preached in their church. Hello. Roughly 20 folks made the trek out with me. It has been a powerful experience. John is pretty understanding. I told him I want to deal with race stuff, but I don't want to date, but I want to date a while before diving in. And so the relationship has started, and they are very eager to keep it going. I don't know what the future holds. My biggest concern is that we are a rich church, and they don't have a lot of money. I'm not sure how to navigate those waters, but I'm happy to be traveling them. Anyway, I write this letter to tell you, thank you, grace and peace, Jeremy. And so when we think about what it looks like, for us in this context, it's kind of cool because we have the opportunity to live life with each other. We have the opportunity to be vulnerable with each other. We have the opportunity to listen to each other about our experiences and times when, when we might have misunderstood other groups that represent the banner of Christ. We have opportunities to repent for times when our group that was under the representation of the banner of Christ may have offended other groups, right? Or may have even done them um, personal damage or personal harm, but it's a hard process. And I think you sensed in that email from Jeremy that even for him now wanting to do this and seeing this as an answer to prayer, there's some uncertainty. And he still has to walk step by step in faith, but he is willing to do it. My hope is that we are willing to do it. To see that Paul, this guy who was Jewish among Jewish people, one of the most Jewish dudes you know, felt as the, that he was still under an obligation to the Greeks and the barbarians and the wise and the foolish. That he wanted to see his church united. And that he felt like the most important thing that we could pursue is the thing that ties us all together. The grace and peace that we get 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you guys will delve into that tension this year. The tension of God, what does it look like for me to be a part of the bigger community that you've established? God, what does it look like for us to be in the tense relationships of vulnerability and repentance and reconciliation? I'm going to pray and and the band is going to come up and we're just going to ask you guys to kind of stick around for the next 20 minutes as we worship God. And if there's something in that 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 God's asking to percolate, let it percolate. And if there's not, then ask God, man, God, what do you have for me this year? If it's not, if you'd be like, oh, it's not that. No, I don't want that. Okay, then then what would it be? Because at some point it might be something. God, we thank you for this day and all the days that have come before it. And there's part of us, God, where we will be repentant And we will admit that our community doesn't always look like the kingdom of God. Because when we know that when we get to the kingdom of God, when we get to that banquet room of the throne, that there will be a lot of people who have different backgrounds from us. There will be a lot of people that that look different from us. But the only thing that we will be able to focus on is, is you. So help us to do a good job this year, God, of listening to you. Help us to do a good job of listening to each other. And God, in a world and in a country where acrimony and violence and injustice just seem to run rampant. Help this be a place that is an oasis. Help this be a place that leads a charge because we believe your words in Scripture, God, that blessed are the peacemakers. And we know that peacemaking can only happen where there is contention and where there is strife. So help us to be honest about it. Help us to be open. Help us to be humble and help us to be encouraged by the fruit that you will bring forth. In Jesus' name, amen.